morning, good afternoon, and good evening, rugby fans, and welcome to episode 46 of the DNVR Rugby Podcast. My name is Colton Strickler. I'm your host, as always. I'm back from vacation, feeling rest, recharged, ready to rock. So with that, we'll start the show like we always do, and that's what the breakdown. The breakdown's kind of the weekly wrap-up of news, uh, primarily focused on the MLR, but we talk about rugby everywhere else as well. And the first little bit of news is that just con- signings continue to happen all across MLR. The most recent Raptor to be signed to for MLR 2021 was Sakurai Taulafo, friend of the program. I'd recommend you go check out his episode if you haven't listened to that one. Uh, it's really good. talks about playing rugby really with no shoes on. Um, super humble beginnings, and, and he's just a really nice guy. So I'd recommend go listen to that. So congrats to Zach for signing with Rugby United New York uh, for next season. The Raptor tracker has been updated with Sakurai's signing, so uh, make sure you go check that out. That's where we've been keeping all the Raptors that signed to play somewhere else next year. Um, that's how you keep track of them. So uh, that's kind of the, the little bit of Raptors news that we've got for this week. Um, and kind of talk jump into some more MLR stuff. Um, MLR has been cranking out a lot of partnership news this week. They've got OFC, which is like a money-moving thing. they got Paladin. Uh, that's who made all the kits this last year. They announced that Paladin is returning for 2021. Probably the biggest piece of news that MLR put out this week was that uh, Jonathan Kaplan and Chris Pollock uh, will come on to lead match officials for the 2021 season. So obviously two very experienced referees will help elevate the level of play just really across the board in MLR. Adds some more legitimacy to the professionalism of MLR, really shows what they're trying to become, um, and that'll be a big help. So I'll go ahead and read you this release. So Major League Rugby, I guess this is August 6th, so what day is it? That was last week, but whatever, I was on vacation, so it feels like one week to me. Major League Rugby announced today that Jonathan Kaplan will lead the appointment and development of match officials for the 2021 season. Kaplan will also be assisted by Chris Pollock in a technical advisor role. Between then, Kaplan and Pollock have refereed at six World Cup, Rugby World Cups and 96 international matches, including five Lions tours. We are, quote, we are pleased to welcome Jonathan Kaplan and Chris Pollock to Major League Rugby, said Commissioner George Kilbrew. Their caliber speaks for itself, and their experience at the highest level will no doubt be beneficial for our growing pool of officials. The duo will focus on developing existing talent in North America and supplementing the pool with referees from overseas. Quote, we are both very excited to be able to contribute to the refereeing landscape in MLR, said Kaplan. We're hoping to use our experience and knowledge of the game at the elite level to identify and develop match officials with the express aim of improving the quality of the game in MLR in North America, end quote. Quote, we recognize the importance of the man in the middle in, fatil- in facilitating an action-packed and easy-to-understand game for fans to fall in love with. We look forward to using Jonathan and Chris's expertise to help lead this, end quote, said Kilbrew. So that's the release, a little bit of background on what uh, Kaplan and Pollock will bring. So that's kind of the biggest piece of MLR news this week. Again, pretty quiet on all fun- fronts aside from the signings. And I'll be continuing to update you all on Raptors that sign elsewhere, um, as well as updating the Raptor tracker. So keep it locked with that. Kind of wraps up the MLR news. So we'll jump into our weekly Super Rugby update. Um, so for Super Rugby Aotearoa, we're in round 10. The Crusaders beat the Highlanders last weekend to win Super Rugby Aotearoa. But that is not the biggest story. That's kind of, we talked about it, I know, a little bit on the show last week. That's kind of the most boring, least eventful way for the competition to end if you're not a Crusaders fan. I was rooting for, you know, uh, this weekend to be to be the final, you know, Blues 
playing the Crusaders for for the shot to win the title. But that's not what happened. Crusaders took care of business last week, and so the competition is really over. They're playing one more week, so everyone's battling it out for second place. But that's not the biggest story, like I mentioned. The big story is that New Zealand had their first case of COVID in the 102 days, and it shut down the whole country, essentially. So I guess what happened was there was a household had COVID. They were saying they traveled around, but they didn't go overseas. Um, so I think there was like four positive tests in like a household of six people or something like that. Um, and because of how seriously and, and how well that New Zealand's contained the coronavirus there so far, they shut it all down. Um, and for, for three days while they, while they contract trace and, and they make sure that it's not a bigger problem than it actually is. And so they're, they're pretty much shut down the whole country for three days while they reassess. They're supposed to make a decision by Friday in New Zealand. Uh, but as, at the time of recording this show, gosh, I'm doing this on a Thursday afternoon. I tried to wait it out as long as I can so I could give everybody the most accurate information about what's going on with Super Rugby. But I have not seen anything come across as of right now as I'm recording the show. But by the time I put it out tomorrow, there'll probably be something. Um, so anyways... But as of right now, Auckland is in level three lockdown, which means that the Blues versus Crusaders matchup could not be played currently under the lockdown rules. So uh, that match, as of right now, will probably not happen. I've they've I've been looking at the social media. I've been reading as much as I can. They're preparing as best they can as as if there's going to be a match this weekend. I know that match is sold out, so that they would love to you know finish the competition with that match, but. It's not up to them. So as of right now, that match couldn't be played. But as I understand it, the Hurricanes and the Highlanders match, which is set to play, takes set to take place in Dunedin, which is in level two lockdown, which means the match can be played, but under serious crowd restrictions. So uh, we'll see. As I said, there's been nothing I've seen so far, but I mean, obviously that could all change tomorrow when the show comes out. And I honestly could see with the Crusaders, the Crusaders already having wrapped things up. They've already won. Um, I kind of understand them not finishing the season if, if this flares up again. It just seems like a pretty easy out, you know, the winner's been decided. But it would be fun to watch. I mean, obviously, more rugby's good. Um, but we'll see. Obviously, I will find anything I find on Twitter or whatever, I'll, I'll be retweeting. I'll be sharing with you any information that comes across the timeline. But that's kind of what's going on right now as we record this show. So I'll read you these fixtures just in case they happen. And like I said, I will, of course, update you all on anything I see. But uh, Highlanders and the Hurricanes would kick things off on Saturday at 1.05 a.m. And then the Blues versus Crusaders would wrap up the competition on Saturday night at 9.35 p.m. if it all happens. But like I said, that's to be determined. Um, and I'm sure we'll see something about that soon. So Super Rugby Australia, on the other hand, still going strong. They start round seven this weekend. Um, the Force versus the Waratahs will be on Friday at 3.05 a.m., so that one will already be decided by the time the show comes out. And then we've got the Reds versus the Rebels on Saturday at 3.15 a.m. to wrap up round seven. You can catch all that on ESPN Plus if it happens. Like I said, anything can happen. Um, but we're, I'm hoping that it will happen. It's been fun to really fun to watch, and... I would like to see it kind of come to an end. So that's a weekly Super Rugby update. Obviously, a lot going on there. It's been like the first time, really, we've had to talk about a, a COVID thing, you know, something bad relating to COVID 
in a while, which has been refreshing. But uh, just when it when it happens again, it just reminds you how much this all sucks and how much we can't take it for granted. So enjoy it while it's here. Uh, so that's Super Rugby update. So last part of the the breakdown that we'll get into is Premiership Rugby set to kick off this weekend as well, which is awesome news. So they got six fig they've got six fixtures this weekend as they get their season restarted. So we'll start everything will start on Friday at 12:45 p.m. Mountain Time. Um, we got the Harlequins versus Sale Sharks. We got Worcester and Gloucester on Saturday at 5:30 a.m. We've got Exeter and Leicester on Saturday at 7 a.m. We got the ba- Bath versus London Irish on Saturday at 8 a.m. And we got Bristol versus Saracens on Saturday at 9:30 a.m. And we got Northampton versus Wasps, Wasps on Sunday at 8 a.m. Uh, you can catch all those matches on NBC Sports Gold, like I talked about last week. It's another subscription service. I think it's like 70 bucks a year for the Rugby Pass. Um, but I like it. I've, I mean, I've been using it for like two years. So that's how you can watch all those. Got an email about it today from NBC Sports Gold, so I know that's all happening for sure with the schedule confirmed. I'll talk a little bit more about the premiership and the required reading portion of the show, so make sure you stick around for after our interview. And I want to go back and talk a little bit about the names of those uh, cities and teams. Don't make fun of me too much. Um, from Colorado, I cannot I cannot pronounce these names. So I'm trying my best. I looked up the you know the pronunciation guide, so don't don't roast me too bad if I said anything wrong, which I'm positive that I did. So uh, with that, that's kind of wraps up the breakdown. Um, Pretty quiet and weak news over here, like I said, in the MLR front. But a lot, lot of stuff going on around the world. A lot of good rugby to be, to be consumed. So make sure you tune into all that if you're craving some rugby. And like I said, NBC Sports Gold, you can watch all that stuff on demand. So uh, we'll jump into the interview portion of the show. So I'm pleased to have on Mike Taffel on this week's episode. He's another OG Raptor as we kind of make our way through some of those OG Raptors like we've talked about uh, this spring and this summer so far. Um, Jared Heath, our guest from last week, put me in touch with him, told me that he'd have some good stories, and he did. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you all do as well. Uh, Mike does a really good job of describing how far the rugby scene's come. Really not that long of a time, about, I don't know, 15 years. Um, it's it's crazy to, to see where it was then and where it is now. Mike also sent me the infamous uh, Rocky Mountain News advertisement that kind of kick-started the Raptors squad, you know, got all, all these guys to come in here and train alongside the women's team. So he sent me that. I will be publishing that in the article that houses this podcast, so make sure that you check that out as well. It should be pretty cool. I know I enjoyed looking at it because I talked to him a little bit about it in the interview, but I've heard a lot about it. I've never seen it with my own eyes, so it's cool to see that. Uh, with that introduction, we'll go ahead and kick it into my conversation with former Raptor Mike Taffel. All right, now welcome on to the show, former Raptor Mike Taffel. Mike, how are you doing? I'm good, Colton. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I know uh, last week we had Jared Heath on, and he recommended I reach out to you. He said you'd have some good stories, so I'm happy to have you on and learn about some of the early days of the Raptors. So with that, uh, first question we ask everybody that comes on the show is just, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Yeah, I was born here in Colorado. Um, I uh, grew up in Longmont, Colorado, which is just Northwest of Boulder, um, went to Longmont High School, and um, yeah, I went to college, uh, did two years at Fort Lewis down in Durango, and two years uh, finished up at UNC in Greeley, and so I've kind of just been in Colorado my whole life, so nice. that's where I'm from, yeah. 
Yeah, yep. me too. I, I love it. Love to hear that. Talk to some natives for sure. Uh, when, when did yeah, you start yeah. playing rugby? So uh, I come from a rugby family. My dad played rugby for years. Uh, he played at St. Louis University at Ohio University and finally at UNC in Greeley. And in fact, uh, rugby is how my parents met. Uh, is the, the story is, is at a rugby party where my mom's friends were dating rugby players and met my dad. And so rugby has been a part of my family for a long time. And so I uh, started playing in high school. I actually didn't start playing till the spring of my senior year. I was, uh, I played soccer all through. And at one point thought I might be able to play some college soccer, but ended up became becoming clear that that wasn't the case. So I knew I wanted to play rugby because my dad had always kind of planted that seed and I couldn't wait until the spring of my senior year. And that's, I started playing for Boulder rugby club in high school. Um, it's a funny story. My, uh, senior year, like the fall where I played my last season of soccer, I go into my, um, going to school. I'm about five eleven, 175 pounds, maybe like, you know, your senior picture right. that you take between junior and senior year. I'm like, I'm like five eleven, 185 pounds. And then that winter, I finally just grew into my dad's body. So I walked into rugby um, at about 6'2", 220, wow. not even <laughs> lifting weights or anything. I just kind of matured. And so I always think if I would have started rugby one year prior, I probably uh, would have been, you know, in the back three or something. Yeah, but a different experience out, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I walked in with that nice little growth spurt and was able to, to, to start playing in the, in the, in the front, in the forwards. And so, um, that's where I've spent my entire career was, um, in the four pack. So. Nice. Yeah, and I, I like talking so to, I, to soccer players too is just, do you feel that rugby was like very similar to soccer? I played a little of both. Like I played soccer and then football before I started to play rugby. And, and I know I've talked about it on this show, but it, to me it always just felt playing rugby felt more like playing soccer than playing football to me. Well, I can't, I never played football, so I can't compare, but I mean, in the sense that you're running a lot and it's kind yeah. of continuous, but other than that, I, I don't compare the two very closely. Yeah. I, um, it's a different like rugby shape where you have the slow pushing in the scrums and the rucks first in the sprinting. And then the jog, like all the combination of strength, speed, and endurance is unlike any other sport. Soccer includes soccer is just a lot of running. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas rugby, I, you know, folks have sometimes described rugby as a mixture of soccer and football. I think it's the worst description of the sport ever. <laughs> like I don't, I really, it's, it's its own sport. I mean, it's much closer to football yeah, than it is to soccer. So Right. I don't like to compare those two. That's yeah. fair. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but, yeah. So, anyway, so I, yeah, no, I started finish, playing in high school. I was going to say, I started playing uh, the spring of my senior year uh, for a Boulder Rugby Club because uh, Boulder Rugby Club's high school team took players from Longmont and Iowat in Boulder. So, we just got into there. Nice. And then, how long did it take for you to catch the bug? Was it, I mean, I guess you kind of had the bug and then. Um, just kind of trying it out, but when, when did you get like hooked officially? Oh, it was my first game of rugby. It, and it, as it turns out, I was way better at rugby than I ever was at any other sport, which is just <laughs> lucky. But I remember my very first game. Um, and this is kind of a funny story is at observatory park where the Denver barbarians used to play. Uh -huh. And it was against the Barbo Colts, which was, I think, Mark Bullock and Mike Donovan at the time were involved. And in that game, as it turns out, I played against three of my future 
teammates, the Raptors, Pat Doyle, Pat Carroll, and Tyler Mintz. And um, anyways, that game, I remember, like, because I didn't really know what I was doing the first 15 minutes, right. and I'm sure it was Pat Doyle or, or Tyler Mintz ran over me, and I'm like, oh, what's going on? I was playing number eight. And, uh, but as soon as that, like that first half was over, it kind of things started to click, like the game started to click. And I mean, it was from that, from that moment, that first real game that I played in was where it really, it really grabbed me. And I was determined to play high level rugby going forward. I had already chosen my college. So I went to Fort Lewis. I played rugby there, met some of my best friends today were from the Fort Lewis, Fort Lewis college rugby team. But I, um, uh, wanted to play better rugby. And uh, I, that's why I transferred to UNC was for rugby because my sophomore year when I was at Fort Lewis, UNC had, uh, were national runners up. Uh -huh. And so not only was it where my dad played rugby, but it was also, they were a national powerhouse. So I transferred up to Greeley and um, yeah, my senior year in 2005, we ended up winning the national championship. So awesome. Um, yeah. Rugby's always been super, super important to me. That's an awesome story. I know, and I have to ask. Uh, I have to ask uh, Mark Bullock about that. Uh, the, you said the Barbo Colts. Yeah, it was like the Barbo's U nineteen team. Okay. Uh, that they had for a couple of years. I don't know how long it, it it lasted, but yeah, that that first that was my first rugby game. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So then, like you said, you transferred to UNC, win the national championship, and then is it the when? How did you get involved with the Raptors? Like, what was the timeline after your senior year of college? <laughs> Yeah, so I decided, because I played high school rugby for Boulder, mm -hmm. um, they kind of ingrained, most of the clubs at that time kind of ingrained a hatred for the Barbos. And I have really good friends who still play for the Barbos. It's a friendly <laughs> rivalry, but we were kind of taught never to, you know, to hate the slime, as we used to say. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they were, they're green and white. Um, so I decided I was, my first job was in, actually my first job was coincidentally in Glendale, like just the location of the job yeah. was in Glendale. Yeah, but I hadn't heard. So in the spring of 2006, I was playing for Boulder Rugby Club and commuting from from Denver to, to Boulder to play. Um, and I had just, I can't remember exactly, but I had heard through the grapevine about the stadium. So in the spring of 06, I, I called Bullock. He was listed on their website. And I had a, just a meeting with him in his office over there at the city, uh, at the city of Glendale. Yeah. And it was walking distance from my office. And he laid out everything that they were going to do. And um, I said, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. And um, I t had to tell my friends and my teammates at Boulder Rugby that I was leaving for this new thing. And, you know, I kind of got a bunch of eye rolls. But they're also really supportive. I mean, the rugby community is great. So yeah. they were supportive. But I think a lot of people didn't really think that it was actually going to happen, that Infinity Park was actually going to come to fruition. Right. Um, but I trusted Bullock and I trusted the vision of where the city was going. And so I do have a memory of like the very, very first like organizational meeting of the Glendale Raptors, which was in the spring of 06. And my memory is, is uh, me, uh, Kieran Browner, Ted Browner, uh -huh. uh, Josh Schmitz, and then a bunch of high school kids from Wheat Ridge, I think. Yeah. And um, Jeff Old was there, who was the, our initial head coach. And then that summer, we just started training. Uh, a few more guys would come on. Um, gosh, like Dane Bassett, Scott Zavril, uh, uh, Jared Heath, and a few other guys. Um, and then, you know, we just weren't getting the numbers. And that's where the infamous uh, ad in the Rocket Man <laughs> News came. Yeah. Twist, and, uh, and you sent me that. Thank you for doing that. I've actually never seen that before. I've heard 
a lot about it just from the people I've talked to in the past. So I'm going to put that up on the on the article that kind of houses this podcast. I think that would be cool for people to see. Um, and, and now you yeah. talked about it just like, you know, I didn't have the numbers and then, and then you have this tryout and just kind of, I just am curious as what was it like? Like, where did you all practice? Um, what was the competition like when, when matches actually started? I'm just very interested in hearing about the experience for playing for the early Raptors as a whole. If you could sum it up in so many words. <laughs> um, well, so you, I see some guys have mentioned this, but for the first, that first fall, especially we trained very closely with the women's team. Um, because we just didn't have the numbers, right? So yeah. we had a, it was a, a Mirror Park, legendary Mirror Park, and <laughs> behind the Goodwill in, in Glendale. And um, some nights uh, we'd just have enough for a touch game, or some nights we'd have to uh, pair up with the women. It was great. The women are awesome. Like we became really close with them. Um, so we had this tryout. I think you know you could put tryout in air quotes. It was more of a we need guys. And yeah. So. <laughs> But that's where I'm, I, I, I know you had Casey on. Casey Rock was from that tryout. I think Ryan Chapman came. And it was really like an overnight thing. We had like seven or eight guys, and then we had 20. And then yeah. it came on. Uh, the very, very, very first game the Raptors we ever played was um, against the Air Force Academy's C team down at the academy. Uh-huh. And uh, I think there's a plaque in Infinity Park that commemorates this, but we beat them like 73 to 10. So. Wow. But if that first year, so that fall of about 2006, that spring of 07, we weren't in the union because, you know, they, they, they needed to, I guess, see that we were a legitimate club and all For that. Sure. So we just were playing uh, friendlies against all the Denver clubs and any college team. So we were playing, you know, the Highlanders, the Harlequins, Queen City. Uh, I don't think we played the Barbos till the spring of 07. But um, we were playing in tournaments. We played. We ended up winning that fall, the fall of 06. We ended up winning the uh, High Desert in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. So just like a social tournament. But, um, you know, we just started picking up steam. And um, there was a real good core group of Colorado-based guys of those early teams. Like like I said, Pat Doyle, Tyler Mintz, Ryan Chapman, Casey Rock, all guys that played high school and college rugby here right. in, in, in Colorado. And... Um, you Josh Schmitz, of course. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And so after that, those first couple, those first two seasons, like the spring and the fall, or sorry, the fall and the spring, the fall of 06 and the spring of 07, um, it was really ad hoc, but we were picking up steam and uh, the stadium, the ground had broken. So I think folks could see that the stadium was actually happening, which was attracting more, right. more folks to come in, which was, you know, talk about the greatest, world's greatest uh, recruiting tool for the yes, club. Certainly state-of-the-art stadium that wasn't smoke and mirrors it was actually happening right so, yeah and then yeah and so in the in the, in the fall of 07 is when we were actually in in division one usa rugby division one nice and then is that kind of when the stadium opened was that in like that later 07 or was that yeah my memory is it was like early like yeah i think the well at the up top of my head i think it was like, like late August of 07, we either played the first two games were Seattle Rugby Club and the Barbos. And I can't remember which one was the first actual game in mm-hmm. the stadium, but it was in that fall of 07. And um, yeah, it was either Seattle or the Barbos because Bullock uh, used to play for Seattle and we had a right. really good uh, friendly connection there. They came out here. We had a great tour of Seattle in like 08 and then we've had a couple tours to Seattle actually. So, uh, ended up, uh, cause Seattle merged with, um, OPSB 
old Puget Sound Beach. Yep. Um, anyways, so yeah, the, that that was the first um, game was the fall of 07 in the stadium. What was that like playing in that first match? It was um, it was hard to put into words. Really, it's just yeah. kind of like this is this is the most professional setup in the U.S. Um, we're a, a new club, but we're I well, hopefully I felt that. Glendale and the stadium was kind of paving the road for other folks to follow and that this could be a legitimate thing. And it, it was, it was, it was just incredible. I'm mean, playing that in that stadium was, was, was highlight of my rugby career. Yeah. Certainly. So that's awesome. And I know you just kind of mentioned it, but um, when you, I mean, cause I love talking about this, like the early days, like this is the, the rugby that's paved the way for um, even pro rugby and MOR now, but did, did you ever envision rugby like getting to the point where it is in the United States right now granted it's still small but it is growing and I was just wondering like if if you ever imagined that and then I guess really if there was a point where it kind of clicked and you were like man maybe this could this could be a possibility oh absolutely because the I mean not only were our I feel like our just trainings were had a professional feeling and like our weight programs and we were you know, we were all trying, we were playing with Glendale, you know, I think the best club in the country at the time, because we wanted to play at the top level that was offered in the U S and, um, with, I think early on, it became clear that this could be a possibility for the rest of the country. And, um, the, uh, the level of professionalism on game day with the stadium and the jumbotron. And also those early years, uh, every game was on TV in yeah. the Denver era. We were on back. It was Fox Sports, Rocky Mountain, and then became Root Sports, and then became ATT Sports. So we also were played on Channel 7 at sometimes, like uh, on tape delay on Sunday morning. So, but all of our games were on TV. They were tape delayed. But just that fact, I thought, would, you know, prove that this was a professional setup. You know, I only, I only wish that professional rugby was around, you know, uh, eight, nine years ago. When I, so I could tell yeah. everyone I played professional <laughs> rugby, but I was a little – little old but no the um yeah that was that was the early days with the the tv productions and the production on game day i mean certainly it seemed like glendale was proving that professional rugby was a possibility even though we weren't professional we were the setup was right uh that's awesome and i do i do remember being like watching it on tv and just being around back then and, and that's why i like talking to like you guys that played on these first teams because it, you really did like pave the way for all this stuff now. And it's, it's, I think it's awesome to hear all your perspectives on all that. So um, I guess the next yeah. question I had is another question I like to ask everybody. And it's just, if what are some of your favorite rugby memories? Now you mentioned winning the national uh, championship at UNC. I'm sure that's got to rank pretty high. <laughs> yeah. So I was so fortunate in my rugby career to be a part of some successful teams. And I mean, I have to say winning is the best part um, for me. It is anyways. Um, yeah. My one A and one B would be the national championship with UNC in 2005 and the national championship with Glendale in 2011. Um, both, you know, it's hard to compare college rugby is, you know, the greatest time you can ever have. And to, you know, when you're in college, you, I was, I was living with all rugby players. We were training five nights a week or four nights a week, but it was like, we were living, breathing rugby together and then to accomplish a national championship with those guys. Um, that was really special, but the Glendale one was a bit different because that's the best rugby I've personally ever played was mm -hmm. in those years. 09, 2009, 2010, 2011. Um, so I was playing really good rugby, but we are also collectively as a club, obviously playing really good rugby. Um, 
and uh, just, you know, I feel like Glendale people like to hate us or they liked to hate us back in the club days. They thought we were like this spoiled. We were flying in ringers from everywhere, which really just, we had a handful of guys flying, but for the most part, we were, a uh, uh, our core group of guys were all about my age and all from Colorado. Yeah. Um, that's from, you know, we, we made it to the division one national championship in 2008 and that was our first year in the union. And that group was a young group of just Colorado guys. Yeah. And, the 2011 team um, who actually won it all. Um, yeah, we were just, we were just solid and <laughs> we didn't have any superstars. So that's what was really cool about that team. As a matter of fact, the the defense from that team, which probably is underrated is why we won that national championship. I mean, we didn't give up a try in the final. Wow. We didn't give up a try in the, in the semifinal. And I think we gave up four tries in the sweet 16 in the quarterfinal. So like, that's really where um, I think that team shined, but we also had some, pretty special players um, everywhere on that team. So I would rank those two, the 2011 national championship Glendale and the 2005 national championship DMC is my favorite rugby memories from an on the field perspective. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. There's a couple other things I wanted to ask you before I let you go, Mike. So um, just, I was wondering if you, if you could name maybe the best player that you played against and the best player that you played with. If you could off the top of your head, I know it's kind of a loaded question. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's cool. So it's hard playing with a lot of guys come to mind. Austin Malifa, Nessie Malifa. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a guy in 2011 who uh, was, uh, he was a U19, all, U20 all black. And he just came for the year. His name is Shea Tomate. He was a, a, a hooker. And he had just got done, uh, I think the previous year he played in the U20 World Cup, but he showed up uh, with just all he wanted to do was play rugby. He was the nicest guy in the world. You would never have known he was this super guy. And he just played wherever we told him. He didn't complain. He didn't do, he just put his head down. He ended up being our starting hooker. And he was, I mean, he was a phenomenal player. He just did everything right. And, And he was just down to earth and was just there for the experience. And sometimes you get guys that come in from other countries and they think they know everything and they, you know, they complain this and that. Shay never did that. So I often think of Shay Damati when, um, uh, when I get asked that question. <laughs> uh, and play it against, it's hard to say. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was one individual player, but in 2012, my very last game for the Raptors was in the 2012 national championship game. And we played Belmont shore whom we had beaten the, um, the year before in the quarterfinals. And, um, they just beat the crap out of us in the final. I don't know what else to say. They really, they really did. And I knew that was, and I think, uh, I'm pretty sure Peter Dahl who became a Raptor was in that game. And I just, their loose forwards just dominated us. And, um, so that being my last game, I knew that was going to be my last game as a Raptor. It was my 101st appearance. Wow. And I really wanted to win. Uh, I, I always thought I wanted, you know, I wanted to go out like Elway winning two back to back national <laughs> yeah. championships, but, but the Belmont shore boys really took it to us and were by far the better team that day. So I don't know, I guess I give it to that Belmont, that whole yeah. Belmont shore team in 2012. They, they really took it to us. Oh, that happens sometimes, but that's all right. Um, and then the yeah. last, I guess the last question I want to ask for, I let you go, Mike, is just what, what do you love about rugby 
and I know that's like kind of a, a weird like open-ended question, but like it, you just kind of I know you talked about like the community a little bit, but just like what do you love about rugby and why should people give it like a chance? Like if, if people that are on the outside looking in, what would be like your pitch to get them um, to to get it, give it a try, get involved in in the community itself? Yeah, um, I think well the game itself is the most fun sport in the entire world because it combines everything that's great about all the other sports. Uh, the, the physicality of football, the ability to uh, run and be in shape like soccer and just uh, um, uh, the, the camaraderie of the teammates on the field. Everything is great. But also the, the culture of rugby is unlike any other sport. And it, it is truly the best culture uh, in the sporting world. Um, you know, the, the whole aspect of the social after the game, which is from every level from, you know, kids all the way to the top professionals, there's always, you're obligated after the the game to, to feed your opponents. And then, you know, it's without failure. That's where you leave everything on the field. You have a, you have a pop or a beer with the guy that you were going up against and Mm -hmm. you have a great time at the social. And I mean, I've seen that at every level and um, the ability to go anywhere in the world. Like if I were to move, anywhere, pick up my family and move anywhere. Like I know exactly how I can make 30 friends fast and that's join the rugby club, whether that's a player or a social member or whatever. So, um, you know, I've been, I've spent some time in the UK for work and I've gone to professional rugby matches over there and you turn to the guy at the, in the, in the train going to the game, you say, Hey, I'm an American, but I'm a huge rugby fan. Like, um, what can you tell me about it? And then Next thing you know, they're pulling you to the pub with them before the game right. and they walk you to the stadium and, you know, it's just anywhere in the world you can go and find the rugby club. You'll have, you'll have uh, best friends quick. So, um, I, I just, yeah, I love the cultural side of it as much as the sport itself. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I completely agree with you. I, and that's been true in my life too. Um, so, so Mike, that's all the questions I have for you, man. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, keep up the good work and, uh, we'll, We'll hear from you soon. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with former Raptor Mike Taffel. I know I did. Make sure you go check out that Rocky Mountain News advertisement um, in the article that houses this podcast. It's pretty cool. A nice little piece of rugby history here in Colorado. So uh, thank you for Mike for taking his time out of his day to come chat with me. Like I say, every week the guests make the show. I don't. I have a hard time believing everyone wants to come listen to me talk for half an hour. So the guests always spike, spice it up and... Um, I'm really appreciative of everybody that takes the time to come join me on the show. So thank you again to Mike. Hope everyone enjoyed that conversation. And now go ahead and jump into the required reading portion of the show. Um, This is where I assign everybody a little bit of homework. I I took it easy on you all last week, no homework. Um, But this week we're back. I'm back from vacation, so you guys got to read a little bit too. Um, So this one thing I want to talk about, like I said, I'll talk about the premiership again. The premiership... uh, this is an article on ESPN.com. It's entitled Premiership Clubs Commit to Anti-Racism Gestures and Season Restart. Um, so all 12 Premiership Clubs will be pro- performing anti-racist gestures uh, when the season restarts this weekend. I know a lot of people are taking a knee. A lot of people are huddling up. Uh, they're making, you know, they're standing in the shape of a heart. They're doing a lot of cool different things um, to draw attention to this issue. That's still very alive and well, if we, as we've seen, you know, in the country these last few months. Uh, I think it's just I just think it's pretty cool to see an entire competition to commit to something like this. We, you know, we've been seeing it in um, the MLS, the WNBA, the NBA, um, you know, 
you know, as these leagues get restarted, um, they're they're allowing these teams to, you know, speak out, stand up for what's right, and I think it's pretty cool. Um, just kind of drives home the point that rugby is a sport for everybody, um, and I, I'm glad that this is happening. So it's pretty cool to see. I would, I would encourage you all to check out that link. I'll put it into the uh, article as well that houses this podcast, so it's easy to find. Uh, just something that I saw I thought was pretty cool, and I, I encourage you all to go check that out as well. So uh, that kind of wraps up required reading for this week, and then we'll finish the show like we do, like we always do every week with the loop. So I'm back. I've got two long form pieces that I've been working on these last couple weeks, last three or four weeks. I know I've been talking about it quite a bit on the show, but they're they're coming to a point where I'm ready to put them out. I'm excited for everyone to check those out. First one. Uh, put out next week. We'll talk a little bit about just the history of Rugby Town Sevens and um, you know how the competition started and how it's evolved and kind of what it is today. And you've all heard on the show we've had Dallin on. Um, we've had you know people come on and talk to the show about really you know how good of a competition, how good of a tournament that a Rugby Town Sevens actually is, and, and where it ranks among the other tournaments in the U.S. and worldwide. And um, it's kind of a hidden gem. There's you know the 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 stands sell out every year but um especially that first friday it's it's pretty sparse just because people are working and stuff but i know there's a lot of people that really enjoy sports that don't know about this and it's a really fun event it's a cool event and i would encourage everyone to to check it out and so i want to make people aware of it um i think that's kind of the first step of getting people involved and um, and then I would encourage you all to to watch the 2019 Rugby Town Sevens rebroadcast next weekend that Infinity Park is putting on. I'm excited for that to come out. I just talked to uh, the fine folks at DNVR today, and we will be broadcasting the tournament at the bar. So I'll be there all day Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I'll be hanging out on my computer, you know, getting some tweets off and, and working while we watch these matches. So feel free to come say hello. Um, come ask me any questions you want to know about Sevens, Rugby Town in general. Um, you know, like the whole point of the show is to get more people involved in the game. And um, if I can be of any help at all in real life, in the flesh, uh, I'm happy to do so. And, and I'm just thankful that we have a place to we can do this. We can watch these rugby matches and we can all get together. So um, stay tuned on Times. I'll probably be posting a podcast next week. So we'll talk a little bit about Times, obviously. Follow along with us on Twitter at DNVR underscore rugby at Colton Strickler. I'll be posting about the times there as well. And I think we will be having some giveaway items too. Um, so keep it locked here. A lot of fun stuff in the in the horizon. Feels good to have stuff on the books again, which has been, you know, something that's really lacked for these last few months. And it'll be fun to get together and watch some rugby. So I would encourage if you haven't checked it out, if you especially sevens, sevens is so fun. If you don't have any experience with sevens, um, come on out to the bar next weekend, uh, catch some rugby. It'll be a super fun time. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So that's my show, everybody, this week. Thank you all for listening. Hope you had a great week. Hope you have a great weekend. I'll catch you all back here next week.